You're listening to EN4 News. I'm Gregor McRae. And I am Emma Barton. It's just past 10 to 4 and here are today's headlines. As Rishi Sunak is appointed as the new Prime Minister, we've been finding out people's thoughts in the capital. It'll be the best of a bad bunch, but I do think that we require a general election. There needs to be a full reset. We report as Police Scotland chiefs are warning of difficult choices to come because of funding cuts over the next few years. Our ability to police major events and demonstrations fairly and safely and to protect from existing and emerging threats are significant. And MSPs are debating the first stage of the controversial Gender Recognition Act. Good afternoon. The new Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's reshuffle is continuing today. Liz Truss allies Anne-Marie Trevelan and Chris Philp as they have been demoted from Transport Secretary and Paymaster General to more junior roles. Meanwhile, there's growing criticism from opposition parties to Mr Sunak for reappointing Suella Braverman as Home Secretary, just days after she left her role because of a security breach. Our reporter Rachel Kinnear has been finding out what people in Scotland are making of the new PM. Rishi Sunak has been the Prime Minister for a mere two days, but already the question of what he will do for Scotland looms large. As does the question of independence, with Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon planning to hold a second referendum late next year. The new Prime Minister has repeatedly dismissed the idea of IndyRef2, saying how it simply is not the time, as does his predecessors Truss and Johnson. We spoke to Conservative MSP Jeremy Balfour about what Sunak's appointment means for Scotland. I think the plan is, is actually very straightforward. It is for the Westminster government and the Scottish government to work together so that people's lives in uh, Scotland are better. So we need both governments to work together. We need both governments to um, pull together, lay aside ideological, lay aside political differences and get us through this crisis. Over the last few days, many politicians, including the First Minister, have emphasised the need for a general election, stating that this is the second Prime Minister that the country has not voted for, with the added argument that the Westminster government does not have a mandate in Scotland. But what do the general public of Scotland think? Do they think he'll be able to deliver for the country? We went out and asked the people of Edinburgh for their opinions. I feel quite positive about him, not being a Conservative voter, but he's more reliable than what we've had. Um, probably the best of a bad bunch, but I do think that we require a general election. There needs to be a full reset, in my opinion. Um, but unfortunately, I don't see that happening anytime soon. If he's continued as he started, then all the better for the country. The Prime Minister certainly has a lot of work to do with the cost of living crisis and the war in Ukraine, and of course the ever-present debate over the future of the Union, as calls for independence certainly aren't going away anytime soon. Scotland's police force could face up to £300 million of cuts over the next few years and difficult choices will have to be made, Holyrood's Justice Committee has been warned. Police chiefs told MSPs that the Scottish Government's spending plans leave an extremely challenging and concerning outlook. Here with more on this is Emma McAndrew. Sirens are sounding among Scotland's police force as the government spending plans are threatening a severe reduction of jobs and available services. Police Scotland have warned that their 101 non-emergency phone line may be suspended whilst they may be forced to cut up to 4,500 jobs as their budget appears not to account for the steep rise of inflation. 
The criminal justice sector has been promised £11.6 billion by the Scottish Government over the next four years, but the 10.1% inflation rate suggests that the sector would need to receive an increased amount each year to cater to the rise in costs. In a joint submission to Holyrood's Criminal Justice Committee, Police Scotland and Scottish Police Authority say The implications for community policing, operational effectiveness, our ability to police major events and demonstrations fairly and safely, and to protect from existing and emerging threats are significant. The uncertainty surrounding job security within the police is taking its toll on their officers, as trainee police officer Freya McCabe explains. I feel uncertain for my future in the police, as the government should be paying the right amount of money to Police Scotland to protect us, and if they fail to do so, it could put a lot of lives danger and I don't feel like it's okay. With funding fears remaining, a cause for concern within Scotland's police, how will the Scottish Government react to the forces' calls? A rally is taking place outside Holyrood in support of new transgender rights. Today, MSPs are debating the Gender Recognition Bill at Holyrood. If passed, the new law would make it easier for trans people to legally change their gender. Aaron Proctor spoke to people at today's rally to find out why they are supportive of the reforms. This afternoon, trans rights activists from across the country gathered in front of Holyrood to show their support for the Gendered Recognition Reform Bill, which is set to go through its first round of votes this evening in the Scottish Parliament. I spoke with Florence, one of the campaigners from Trans Alliance Scotland, to see what these reforms will mean for trans people. So I think it just means that we'll be, we'll be living in a country that um, allows us to easily be recognised for who we are. We already have similar rights for things like uh, changing your passport, changing your driver's licence, it's very easy, um, but comparatively getting your gender recognition certificate is very difficult. The planned reforms to this bill will mean that it is easier for trans people to change their legal gender certificate and birth certificate. It will mean that trans people hoping to transition will no longer have to walk through various, sometimes demeaning hoops to change their legal gender. This is done by cutting down the amount of time one has lived in their chosen gender and removing the need for medical changes to the body. However, some do not agree that these changes should happen. I spoke to Susan from For Women Scotland to see why this women's rights organisation is against the reforms. Um, sex, is, sex is a fa real factor in society. So whatever somebody feels about themselves could, does not and should not override reality and for a muslim woman at a, a women only swim session it doesn't matter if the male person in the swimming pool genuinely believes that they have a different gender identity what matters is their sex today's debate will end in a vote to allow the bill to be further scrutinized and adapted before being passed into law it is likely that the bill will pass this evening with a wide support throughout the SNP as well as the Greens, Lib Dems and Labour. The passing of this bill will mean that Scotland will be one of the first countries in the world to have self-identification. That was Aaron Proctor reporting and in the last little while we've had breaking news that an SNP minister, Ash Regan, has resigned over the policy. Um, now, for a roundup of stories from around the world, here's our international correspondent, Nao Fancy. Oil giant Shell has recorded profits of £8.2 billion between July and September, its second highest quarterly profits on record. The figure is slightly lower than experts estimated, but still more than double the profits for the same quarter last year. 
the news has prompted renewed calls for higher windfall taxes on energy companies. Shell CEO Ben Van Buren says his company accepts the role it will have to play in minimizing the cost of living. They will be looking at companies like us, who benefit, of course, from the volatility and the prices that we see, to fund the programs that they are rolling out. I think we have to accept that and we have to embrace that, and that is what we are doing. Iran has experienced its biggest night of protests since unrest began six weeks ago over the death of Masa Amini in police custody. Tens of thousands of people protested in cities across the country on Wednesday night. In London, hundreds gathered on Trafalgar Square to voice their anger. Women, life, freedom. I want human rights for everybody in Iran. That is the absolute least that we deserve. It's sad that it's something that we have to fight for, that people are being killed for, but it's, it's what we deserve. Iran Human Rights says at least 234 protesters, including 29 children, have been killed by security forces so far. The country's leaders have labelled the protests as riots instigated by foreigners. The German government has agreed on a plan to legalise the recreational use of cannabis. Under the proposed reform, licensed shops and pharmacies could sell the drug and adults would be allowed to own up to one ounce for personal use. The plan has not yet been approved by Parliament, but Health Minister Karl Lauterbach believes the plan could come into action by 2024. Lauterbach said the ban on cannabis had shown no evident success and regulating the market would help protect the health of young people. Edinburgh City Council members met today to discuss how Christmas and Hogmanay celebrations are run in the city, following the news that the council is set to lose £3 million following the collapse of the Christmas markets contract. After Angel's event experiences pulled out earlier this month of supplying the event, and two new companies have joined together in an attempt to rescue as much of the programme as possible. Former council leader Adam McVeigh described this year's methods of securing the contract as a calamity. Ronan Calhoun has more. We'll all be merry and bright this Christmas here in Edinburgh. One thing is for sure is that there'll be no let up in holiday cheer this Christmas as the popular Edinburgh markets return in just under a month's time. Despite being in doubt, the capital is set to see its yearly influx of tourists with a host of loved events poised to return, including the Ferris wheel and the ice skating rink. However, the aftermath of the original contract falling through will still be hurting the public purse for years to come, with the council set to lose £3 million. Having been awarded the contract, experience company Angel's Event Experience could not fulfil the £5.5 million contract, which has led to two companies rescuing the event. Unique events and assembly festival have taken over the organisation and planning of the event, with up to 70 vendors serving a mix of Christmas gifts and food expected. Former council leader and SNP councillor Adam McVeigh has now proposed the idea of a joint venture model instead to guarantee the event in the future. Discussing the matter at the full council meeting, councillor McVeigh called for a rethink of the way both the Christmas markets and Hogmanay celebrations are run. The suggestion was that it could be 50% owned by the council and 50% owned by people who have expertise in running these kind of events. This venture would cost more to set up but would be an open book approach which would allow the council to see what money was coming in and being paid out. Councillor McVeigh highlighted Edinburgh's own Capital City Theatres Trust as a recent example of a successful public body venture. Reacting on social media, people commented about the news and their shock at the eye-watering £3 million loss. I'd like to see the termination clause and the penalties involved with the organisers if they terminated the contract early. Sounds to me that the council haven't drafted their contract well at the detriment of the public purse. How on earth does it cost the council that amount of money? Who checks and signs these contracts? They should be sacked. Despite being recognised as one of the most popular Christmas markets in Europe, this will definitely cast a shadow over proceedings this year. 
Now, in recent times, we've gone through a pandemic, had soaring bills and inflation to contend with, and now, if that wasn't enough, the National Grid is warning that we could face blackouts this winter due to the global gas shortage. According to the UK government's worst-case scenario, homes across the country could be cut off for three hours at a time. With more on this, here's Ruri Holden. Government reports accessed for the first time give us an insight into what may be in store for British homes this winter, as three-hour blackouts become a possibility during the darkest, coldest days of the year. The frightening reports come to light during one of the worst energy crises the country has ever seen. Brits have been warned that they may have to face blackouts between 4pm and 7pm on extremely cold winter weekdays if the European gas giants cut exports to Britain. National Grid boss John Pettigrew confirmed this while speaking to the Financial Times, stating that gas and electricity might be switched off on those deepest, darkest evenings in January and February. Tweets from concerned Brits have been rolling in following the release of these documents. A woman on the news just now says to have a power cut pack consisting of a torch, etc. This is the UK in the 21st century. I have personally bought a power bank just in case these blackouts are real. Better to be safe than sorry. So what are your thoughts on this? So it's really terrible as uh, uh, we are representing students and uh, in this winter uh, the power cuts are all, all, all obviously like uh, it's a terrible thing so I would encourage government not to do that. So. Now whether or not Britain will be left in darkness this winter remains to be seen. However this is certainly not calming people's worries that they will be unable to heat and light their homes this winter. Now we are joined by EN4 News political correspondent Thomas McCabe with a rundown of today's First Minister's questions. I was at Hollywood earlier following First Minister's questions when Nicola Sturgeon was, was scrutinised by both opposition party leaders, starting with Conservative leader Douglas Ross, who questioned the First Minister on the SNP's independence financial plan. Ross stated that the EU rejected the SNP's financial plan, saying... No euro, no membership. The First Minister replied, saying there's no country that has been forced to join the euro, which is, and I quote, backed by hard evidence, referring to nations such as Bulgaria, Romania and Sweden, who are in the EU but are not using the euro. Then the debate became more energised, with both leaders calling the other pathetic and desperate with Sturgeon attacking Ross on his numerous U-turns, a result of recent chaos within the Conservative Party. Ross accused the First Minister of wanting to bring more chaos to Scotland while we are in the cost of living crisis. So, Thomas, that was the conversation from the Conservative Party, but what about Anna Sarwar and his Labour Party questioning today? Anna Sarwar pressed the First Minister on any waiting times today. He stated over 4,000 people have had to wait over 24 hours to be seen with 859 waiting 36 plus hours in the past year, which Sarwar says is costing lives. The First Minister said Sarwar was right to bring attention to this matter, but Lend stated that Labour would never make suggestions to actually help the situation. The Labour leader Lend said last year when the Health Secretary was appointed, and I quote, 86.6% of people were seen within four hours at A&E. Today, that figure stands at 65.3%. Sturgeon Len said, When I listen to Labour, I'm not sure they're interested in the health service, rather making political points. Of course, political conversation this week has also been dominated by the new PM Rishi Sunak. Was there much mention of him in the chamber today? 
Not really from what I saw. The focus was on Scotland as it should be with First Minister's questions. The only mention of Sunak was regarding Ross's U-turns and concerns of his budget that is due on the 17th of November. Thanks very much, Thomas. This is Ian4 News. Here's what's still to come on today's programme. We'll have the latest on the growing number of strikes sweeping the nation. We speak to the newly appointed Edinburgh Fringe Festival's Head of Artist Services. And we'll be finding out why Tesco's iconic meal deal is rocketing in price. Now, it's being described as the new winter of discontent. Thousands of workers across the UK have been striking or planned to strike, including rail workers, postmen, university workers and nurses. And today, striking firefighters are demonstrating outside the Scottish Parliament. Now, BT workers are joining their fight, including emergency 999 call handlers. What does this all mean for the workers' union and how will the strikes affect people? Our reporter, Ieva Azola, has been finding out. Strikes continue as BT and Openrouge workers call for better pay to cope with the rising cost of living. On Monday, 38,000 members of the Communication Workers Union walked out for 24 hours. 999 call handlers, who are some of BT's lowest paid workers, joined the strikes. The BT Group spokesperson says that including the 999 service in the strikes is reckless. President of the CWU, Karen Rose, comments on the strike action. What I will say is... BT have half indicated that they might be willing to speak to us early November. We need to keep the pressure up before early November in order to push them into coming to meet us as they've indicated they might be prepared to, to bring forward a serious proposal and give you the pay rise that you've earned. The average wage of a BT worker is £29,000, which is 24% below the national average. BT has warned people to expect longer waiting times than usual for support. I talked to Charlie Blackhall, who has been a BT customer for 10 years, to find out how he feels about the strikes. I think they could be doing a lot more money. But it would be a nightmare having to wait to get your Wi-Fi fixed. At the end of the day, it'll be the workers having to come and fix any problems once the strikes are over. I've been a customer for a long time. It's ridiculous from a customer's point of view, but understandable for the workers. In August, BT Group workers took the first strikes in 35 years. BT Group says that they will continue to work to minimise any disruption and keep their customers and the country connected. But with the union being nowhere near giving up, will the company truly be able to keep the UK connected? The Edinburgh Festival have appointed a new Head of Artist Services. Our reporter Neve McCabe spoke with experienced arts manager Chris Snow about his new position. The Edinburgh Fringe Festival Society has in recent years appointed Chris Snow as the new Head of Artist Services. Snow has been credited as bringing in a wealth of knowledge to the senior post due to his magnitude experience in supporting and leading creative and cultural teams. His role prior was the Head of Support Services at the National Theatre in London. In that job, he led the National Theatre's operational team through the pandemic. Having been a former Fringe participant himself, Snow has brought multiple quainter shows to Edinburgh under his own theatre company, therefore he understands the challenges and opportunities that artists will face at the Fringe. Shona McCarthy, CEO of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Society, said this on the matter, voiced by Robin Bell. It's a genuine privilege to welcome Chris to the team at such an important time for the Fringe Society. His experience and understanding of the cultural sector will be key as the festival continues its recovery from the pandemic and looks towards a brighter and more sustainable future. 
As head of artist services, Snow has the role of leading the team in supporting artists, venues, the arts industry and the wider fringe community, this being throughout the time of the festival and the year itself. Commenting on his recent promotion, Snow said this. I am delighted to be joining the Fringe Society in the 75th anniversary year for the festival. As a former participant of the festival and a long-term superfan, I've experienced firsthand how the Fringe can be an inclusive space for freedom of expression, creativity and connection. We are facing immense challenges across the arts sector and I'm thrilled to be working with the Fringe Society team and the thousands of artists and hundreds of venues who make up the Fringe community to ensure we continue to become a fairer, more inclusive and sustainable festival for all that celebrates everything that the arts have to offer. In anticipation for Fringe 2023, we hope that Snow can exceed all of our expectations and give us a great Fringe. Now, with some of today's sports news, here's Graham Sinclair. Hearts manager Robbie Nielsen wants to see a more consistent performance from his side in the weekend as they take on RFS in the Europa Conference League tonight. In recent games we've played well in periods of games but we've lost the goals at key moments and it was kind of the same on, uh, at the weekend there so you know we, we all know we need to be doing better. Hibernian Academy manager Steve Keane praised the Highbury's support after over 3,000 attended the under-19s victory over Nantes in the UEFA Youth League. I think that really drove us on what you've seen you know, over the last 15 minutes when they were throwing everything at us, I think we went up a gear, which shows that you know the fans played their part tonight and you know they're, they're winners as well as us. In rugby news, Scotland coach Gregor Townsend has explained his decision to make Jamie Ritchie his new captain. Yeah, well, it's, it's obviously a real positive that Jamie's captain is, is side just now with, with Edinburgh. He's a very competitive player, been one of our key players over the last few years and this is a great opportunity for him. Some additional sports news now and the Livingston women's team has made a significant change to their playing kit due to concern over playing whilst in white and on their period. Our sports correspondent Thomas McCann spoke with player Charlotte Ferguson about the change. Of all the different football kits that can be found across the UK, many of them feature a pair of white shorts. Now this may not be a problem in the men's game, but footballers and women's teams have been advocating for a change in their kits to replace white shorts in order to take to the pitch with confidence when they are on their period. One of the most recent teams to make the switch are Livingston FC, with Livy women's teams now pairing their white shirt with black shorts. The move is gaining traction across women's football, with other teams such as West Brom, Swansea and Manchester City also making the switch from white shorts. The issue has been raised by those in the women's game for some time, and the players believe that making the switch from white shorts will give them the confidence they need when they're playing on their period and will help to reduce anxiety and keep full focus on the game. Charlotte Ferguson, who plays for Livingston women's team, spoke about how she believes the change will impact the team. I think some of us maybe passed it on or passed it over to maybe the way that it looks. So everyone thought it looked better with black shorts. But I think that was maybe like a subconscious, like everyone kind of feeling that the white shorts weren't really something they were comfortable wearing. I just think like, especially to do with the concerns that it raises, it's quite like a suppressed thing. So I think to openly talk about it in that group setting, probably not everyone's comfortable. So I feel like probably it was just a case of, it was probably going through everyone's mind, but we didn't really want to kind of openly admit that that was maybe why. Livingston have become the first club in Scotland to make the change in order to put their players' minds at ease when they have their period. The move could potentially have a knock-on effect in not only Scottish football, but in women's sport as a whole. In other news, Tesco have drastically up 
up the prices of their popular meal deal amid the cost of living crisis. It comes as many other everyday essential items have also increased by up to 65% in price during what has been called the worst economic crisis the country has seen in a decade. Here's Ali Dunn with more. Tesco has announced that their meal deal will increase in price to £3.90 for regular shoppers and from £3 to £3.40 for those with a club card. This is following another price increase from back in March which made regular shoppers pay £3.50 for their meal deals. Tesco refused to speak on the topic but we reached out to Edinburgh students to give their opinions on the price increase of their go-to lunch. Yeah, shopping a little bit more cautiously, I mean, so trying to save my money because I don't want to turn on the heating. It might sound stupid but if it's going from like a couple of pennies to a couple of pennies more it can pennies makes a pound so it's just yeah. In recent months the Tesco meal deal is not the only item which has increased in price with some everyday essential food items such as vegetable oil and pasta reaching above a 60% increase in price despite companies such as Tesco making record level profits since 2019. Cara Babineau from Pennywell Pantry spoke to us about the recent price increases and how they affect their ability to help the community. Well, just it's a bit different than uh, like a food bank, for example. So it's a membership model. People sign up for a membership. It's particularly area-based. So it's people who live in the local area sign up as a member, and then you pay a small fee to do a shop here. So the idea is that you are paying something, but it's more affordable than going to another shop. So standard shop is £4.50, and you get 10 items for that. So I'd say we're being affected across all of those areas because we definitely have less donations coming in for sure. As well, the food that we can buy in with those membership fees is obviously less than it used to be because the prices are going up and our retail partners are places where we can buy these items in. So get as much as we used to get. One of the highlights of Scotland's social calendar returns after its COVID break to welcome us into the new year. The lineup for this year's events features incredible live music and a street party to remember. Our reporter Jessica Matheson has more. The countdown has officially begun for the famous Edinburgh Hogmanay to return to the city. The event will return for the first time since 2019 after being halted by the COVID-19 pandemic. With as many as 30,000 visitors around the world expected to line the streets of the capital, the event will be organised by Unique Events this year after they signed a contract with Edinburgh City Council for a minimum of five years. They have partnered up with tech innovator Xylobands to provide partygoers with light-up LED bands for a fully immersive experience. In a joint statement, Penny Doherty from Unique Events and William Burdett Coots of Assembly Festival have said, Our new LED wristbands will ensure that all street party revellers are part of the show and part of the spectacular midnight moment as we bring in 2023 together. The anticipated lineup this year for the three-day event includes The Pet Shop Boys, Altered Images and Sophie Ellis-Bexter. The spectacle is a highlight of the Edinburgh social calendar and promises to be a night that starts your year off with a bang. And now a recap of today's main stories and Rishi Sunak is continuing to make changes to the government lineup. MSPs debated the controversial Gender Recognition Act for the first time. And Police Scotland chiefs are warning of difficult decisions as a result of proposed spending cuts. 
That's all for now. You can keep up to date with all the latest on the EN4 News website. Have a good afternoon. Good afternoon.